Hi everybody, JP here. Today's episode is another and somewhat of an internal series within the Neurosurgery Podcast dealing with the selection, training, and professional licensure of American neurosurgeons. In this vein, we encourage listeners to revisit our early conversation with Dr. Alan Levy at the University of Miami about the oral boards review course and that early phase of certification after neurosurgeons first begin practice. And stay tuned for a very special episode next week where we dissect that process in the context of recent controversies in neurosurgery. But that's enough promotion. Let's get on to the show. Welcome to the Neurosurgery Podcast. I'm Mike Wang, and I'm here with my co-host, J.P. Colson. We are here to discuss all things neurosurgical. Hi, this is J.P. Colson, a resident in neurosurgery at Rush University. Please note that this is not a CME event, and the opinions and statements made in this podcast do not reflect those of any institution or professional organization. Now, let's get started. So today we're joined on the Neurosurgery Podcast by Carl Heilman. Carl is a wonderful man. I first met him when I was interviewing for a job when I finished residency, and he was working on a Bill shoe cart at the time at Tufts. Carl's been chair now for over two decades. He's done an amazing job with the program, really built it up, and uh, he's the secretary of the ABNS. And today we want to talk about a kind of a sensitive topic for a very defined subset of listeners. And this is going to be about the new examination. Yeah, you heard me correctly. There is yet another new examination. Honestly, I'm terrified. I'm glad I finished residency already. So, Carl, um, maybe you can introduce us to this concept and what's being laid out here. Sure. Um, first, I'll make a comment about our primary exam as it exists and why we came up with this idea for a neuroanatomy exam. And so our primary exam, as it, as it is designed right now, is a very hard exam. And a passing score is approximately 60% of the questions correct. So wow. the directors have talked about, do, do you want your neurosurgeon to get a D- minus and be board certified <laughs> and, and become board certified with only 60% correct? And that's because we create this exam to really differentiate between the top 20% and the bottom 20% of residents. Sort of like the MCAT exam is, you know, but we really don't need a board exam to spread out all these skilled neurosurgery residents into a histogram of high and low scores because we're not using the score to determine who gets to do a fellowship or who gets a job. You really, uh, we really have talked about how we want our primary exam to be more designed to master this material. Once you master it, you get a high score and then you become board certified. Everybody should pass, right? Right. Well, absolutely. We want all... First off, you have to be skilled and smart to get into med school. You have to be skilled and smart to get into neurosurgery residency. Essentially, all neurosurgery residencies are, are very good, are excellent, and it just doesn't make sense that people would flunk that exam. And then we make this exam that's extremely hard, which even the directors of the ABS might have a hard time passing. So, <laughs> you know, we like the idea of creating an exam that here's what you really need to know, now learn it and have a, a much higher passing score. So as we're thinking about this, we decided to experiment with, uh, with an exam where we would give the, the first-year residents the curriculum, give them everything we wanted to know, tell them exactly what's on the test, and then give them the test. And so what we constructed is a 100-question neuroanatomy test 
because we think that knowledge of neuroanatomy is kind of the basis of everything you're going to do in your career. If you don't know the anatomy, how can you be a good neurosurgeon? You know, so. And in the past, a lot of our questions were on basic neuroscience. So we decided to add in a lot of operative cadaver dissection pictures from Dr. Rhodes' collection, which he donated to the AANS, and Jeffrey Sorensen has processed and put on a website to make a phenomenal studying resource. So what we've said is this test is going to be 100, hour, sorry, 100 questions. It'll take you two hours to do. The first 60 questions are surgical anatomy questions directly out of the rodent collection. So I went through the rodent collection with Jeff Sorensen and picked out what I thought were the 100 best dissection images. And so we called it the rodent top 100. Then uh, Dan Resnick complained there was no spine in there, so we put in eight or ten spine photos. It took, <laughs> took out. Wait, wait, hold on. Is it like vertebra? This is a vertebra, and that's like a special, like, you know, There, there are complicated things like superior, superior articular processes and stuff like that. Oh! <laughs> and... Uh, Hey, take a look. Look at the road in top 100. So Can I, I add some I, questions? I want to add some yeah, questions yeah. now. Okay, so, so as a first-year resident myself, um, I'm obviously very interested to hear you talk about this exam, where you're drawing the content from. Um, but more so, I'm interested, what's number four? Is it D? I heard it's D. No, but um, what, what are you looking for in terms of the role of this exam? Is it is it going to be a new freestanding stage of the boarding process, or is it something yeah. to get us ready for the test to come? We think it will be a new stage, but uh, the first year, because we're trying for the first time, it's not, it's not going to be required. Okay. We're hopeful that everyone will take it. But it's different. See, the way this test will work, you'll take the test. You'll be told you got, say, let's say 78 correct out of 100. And that's all your program director will find out. But then you'll be told the exact questions that you got wrong. Then you're going to be locked out of the system. We haven't figured out exactly how long, but probably a week. To study those images that you got wrong then you have to go back in and there's a test number B test B is the same image but a different structure mm. say out of the rodent collection so let's just say the, uh, the inferior articulation exactly process. yeah <laughs> so it's the same image but it'll be a different structure and if you get that wrong there's a test C and a test D so you have four tests oh, to get wow. everything right and it probably will take you a month to go back in and out. And, get, and no one's going to find out whether you had to do it three times or four times or whatever. You, the point is to drive you to learn all of these questions. Yeah. Now, the trick is the anatomy questions is fill in the blank. It's not A, B, C, or D. Mm. It's here's a rodent dissection. Say the sixth nerve in the cavernous sinus is highlighted or turned yellow. Yeah, you just have to write in the blank abducens nerve. And we gave, the company that's building us an exam, we gave them the, the vocabulary or the word list of 1,200 words. So as you start to type the word, they're supposed to design the test. So if you put in A, all the words in the dictionary that start with A will come up, and you don't have to finish typing. You'll see that deuces nerve if you click on it. So you can't make up a term that's not in okay. the vocabulary. You know? So, um, and hopefully we'll be able to design the test. So if you put six nerve and that's in there, or abducens nerve, both will be correct. You know? Right. So the point is, you'll learn which ones you got wrong, then you'll go back on your own, restudy that, and a week later, take the same image but a different anatomic structure. But I keep seeing the same images yeah. that I missed. Yeah, well, we're going to tell you that exactly, Reinforcing so you know which ones views, to study. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the whole point is uh, to try to see if we can use this exam to drive learning, rather than be a test to spread out the scores of all the residents across this big histogram. Now, we do have basic neuroscience in there. So 0 to 60 is basic neuroscience. Uh, 60 through 97 
I come from John Martin's textbook, which is a neuroanatomy textbook and atlas. We used that book because it was published in 2012, so it's the newest neuroanatomy textbook out there, and it has atlas images. Hmm. So we picked not every single atlas, like cross-section of the spinal cord and brainstem and basal ganglia, but the, the main ones. And then the last three questions come from that little pamphlet, AIDS to Examination of the Peripheral Nervous System. So there's one question on the brachial plexus, one on the lumbar plexus, and one on, Jeff, I mean, Michael like this, one on the roots, muscles, and nerves, uh, in the, essentially in the spine. Like, uh, you know, which muscles do you examine to test okay. for this root, essentially. So that's question number 100. So if in med school you were one of the med students, I don't want to say complainers, but one of the people who said, like, What's on the test? Tell me exactly what's on the test, okay? No, you We're telling you exactly yeah. what is on this test, so you should know what to study. Now, I'll tell you, lots of programs have contacted me and said, can all our residents take this? And we probably will let everyone take it. Um, I, in fact, offered the directors of the ABNS. Uh, I'm hoping the test is done by the end of December hmm. because we have the ABNS winter retreat in January, and I want all the directors to take the test. And so they immediately said, so you want us to get some wrong so we can uh, work out the kinks in test B and test C? Right, right. <laughs> I said, of course. So they have an excuse to not know all the answers so we can make sure that different versions. Now, does everyone start with A? Or would I maybe start with B and then move on to D, then A, then C? No, I think everyone will start with A. Okay. Uh, everyone will take test A. And um, in a way, I sort of made test D the easiest. <laughs> so you kind of have to be done. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so, um, but uh, yeah, everyone will start with test A. And it's not going to be proctored the same as the primary exam. I envision you just go in your program director's office, give them your cell phone, sit down, you got two hours to do it. It's just online. And, uh, and you'll find out, and he'll find out how many you got right the first time. But after that, it's an exercise on your own to master all these concepts. So Now, with the textbook... Um, we wrote, so this is question 60 through um, 92, we're, we wrote two questions per chapter in that textbook. So if you get a question wrong in chapter 5, the next time you do test B, it's a different question for chapter 5. Yeah. See, so you'll know it's chapter 5, you have to go back and relearn that chapter, uh, but it's not the same question. So it will cause, hopefully, some restudying of concepts. What do you think, John Paul? Make you nervous at all? A little bit, but it's doable. It's doable. I mean, first off, the sixty, the rodent questions are fun. You know, yeah. Jeff Sorensen has made an app. It's not an app yet, but a web link for your phone. You can study the images on your phone while you're in the OR. Um, you know, what we've done at Tufts is we bought a giant screen TV, and then every time we do a case with that anatomy, we put that rodent dissection up on the giant screen. Mm -hmm. And so med students can see the dissection of the exact surgery we're doing. And there's almost a rodent dissection for each approach. Not perfect, but... Uh, almost. And so the nurses understand the anatomy. You know, when you're looking at a microscope on the screen in the OR, if you're a med student, sometimes it's hard to get oriented and stuff. But, you know, this gets the residents used to using those images. Carl, do you have to pass this before you take the main written exam, or can you do it in any order? Well, you can't flunk this test. See, the only okay. way you can flunk this test is if you just don't do it. Mm. Uh, you have to pass it. So uh, it's really more uh, an exercise to drive learning than a test. But there will be some bragging rights if you get... 100 right the first time, you will never see test B, C, or D. Bragging rights for the chairman, you mean, yeah. not for the vet. Oh, and you. Right? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, you and your program director. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, the, 
to me, as someone who loves anatomy and surgical dissections, the rodent collection questions um, are fun. Now, studying John Martin's textbook is work. Okay? <laughs> There's 16 chapters. That's a full. It's you know, it's like reading Carpenters and learning all that. That that is work. But most med students did that, and we're seeing so many neuroscience majors in college, and then you had to do it in med school again. So it's hopefully it's relearning. And just to be clear, so this came out of the ABNS. Yeah. So it's through the board process, not from the RRC. It's not from residency Correct. training. Yeah, purely board. And I'll tell you what we're thinking about because we're trying to decide. Okay, our current primary exam, it caused some people to study, but not a lot. You know, some programs say you have to get a certain percentage right to graduate and this and that, and it did cause people to study. But we're thinking about in the future, would we rather have in residency four modules? So you do neuroanatomy after year one. You do critical care after year three. Mm -hmm. You do spine after your spine rotation. Mm -hmm. You do a PEDS test after your PEDS rotation. Then you do a cranial at the end or something like that. Would that be a better way to drive learning with a curriculum for everyone in the country? Everyone knows what to study. See, right now our test is like, let's find some pretty obscure fact about, <laughs> you know, the genetics of this or that and, and test on every single thing in all of neuroscience. Uh, you know, it's, it's hard to study for. So many people say, for the current primary exam, what should I study? And basically they study what the residents who took the test before tell them to study. Yeah. Uh, but it's not so clear there is something directly to focus on and go study. So we'll see. I mean, I think we'll always have this neuroanatomy exam. I'm not sure we're going to have other exams. We may or we may not. Depends how well it goes. Depends if people like it. Depends if residents say, you know what, that jump-started my neurosurgery residency by really learning surgical anatomy. And, um, you know, it helped. I mean, if you go on the rodent collection and just click on rodent top 100 images, you'll see all the images that come up. Mm. And you'll see the spine images. And you're free as a spine surgeon to get your fellows or residents to add on to that. And Jeff Sorensen and I could help you get set up to um, either add an image or outline structures uh, on that site. How can people contact you to do that? Uh, well, I mean, number one, they can email me. at C. Heilman, H-E-I-L-M-A-N, at tufsmedicalcenter.org. Truthfully, Jeff Sorensen is the one who set up that whole site and controls all the editing allowances, and mm. so I will just pass you on to him. Um, but because you, there is some tricks to learning how to tag anatomic structures and label them so they stay in there forever. So tell us more about what's happening with the board because we interviewed Alan Levy uh, for the the episode on surviving the world boards, but I mean, there's a lot of anxiety out there. I think it's worth reinforcing like what is really happening. I just helped one of our uh, junior faculty prepare for the exam coming up in November. What can you tell people that are listening who are worried about this? Uh, I'll make two comments first. First, um, the case log that you have to turn in as a candidate. Uh, has changed from one called Neurolog, where there are no imaging, to one that we call POST with images. So it's called POST. It stands for the Practice and Outcome of Surgical Therapies. And you have to upload pre and where appropriate post-op imaging. For example, if you put in any hardware in a spinal fusion case, you have to have plain x-rays showing the hardware, etc. And so your case log has to be approved before you're allowed to go and sit for the oral exam. And that's crucial because in the past, with Neurolog, we could never really tell, was the surgery done well? Was it indicated? We didn't have any films. 
we would just look for patterns that seem to be outliers. But with uh, posts, we see all the films. We know, is this person um, operating, is essentially every case indicated? Uh, was it necessary? And then uh, was the surgical procedure performed appropriate, et cetera? Mm-hmm. And it's really changed things. So if we find people that have uh, unusual practice patterns, fusing everything, doing multiple extensive fusions more than indicated, the problem is prior to the oral exam. Okay, so if a director reviews someone's case log, which has to be 125 consecutive cases with three months follow-up, if a director finds a problem with it, for example, too many questionable indications or too many, um, you know, minimal findings on x-ray with extensive surgery, then we'll have a second director review it. And if two people find a problem with it, we either call them in for a hearing or we let the individual know we have issues with their case log and if they want, uh, we can pick 10 cases, but there's no way they're going to pass. Hmm. So they have the option of entering 75 new cases. Oh, really? So, yeah. So some people actually don't get through that process because their films just don't justify what they're doing. Now, people whose case log is approved, that's because the director who reviewed them might have seen some problems, but they didn't think it was so outrageous that they're going to stop the process right there. Okay? Now... This exam we're giving in November 2017, the way it worked was when you review a case log, you would pick out 10 cases out of the 125. And those 10 cases, the software automatically creates a PowerPoint out of those 10 cases. And those 10 cases are then in a computer on the day of the exam, and the two people that are going to examine you go through the 10 cases right before your exam and pick out five. And, and they're going to present them to you. And, and So you should be prepared to present any one of your 10. Now... We just changed that starting in May. Starting in May of 2020, when we go through an exam, we're going to pick out two buckets of seven cases each. And out of those seven, you're going to be tested on five. So that if you don't pass that exam, there already is another bucket picked of seven cases of your case log, which will be your retake if you want to. The problem is people who failed the exam uh, now... We have to go back through their whole case log again and pick out a whole nother 10 and start wow. over. So we decided to not do it that way. We're going to pick out two buckets of seven when we review the 125 case post case log. And then one of them will be used on your first test. And if you pass, you're done. If you don't pass, the second bucket of seven will be used. Wow. Now, let's just say you didn't pass. If you didn't pass and you uh, felt that you didn't pass because of your cases, you have the option of saying, you know what? I think I had a systemic issue in my practice. Uh, I I saw that the directors thought I was doing inappropriate surgery. I'm not going to use my old cases. I'm going to submit 75 new ones. You can do that. Or you can just go with the next bucket of seven different cases from your previous practice. So, for example, say you did 125 cases and you had a couple of really bad complications, a couple of wrong-level surgery or, you know, some egregious error. Those won't be used the second time you're tested. So if they're out of your case log but you think the rest of your practice was good, you'd stick with the next yeah. bucket. Right. But if you had uh, indication problems and it's systemic throughout your case law, you'd feel wise to say, you know what, I'm going to change my practice, do 75 new cases, and then be tested on them. So th- that's just some thinking about posts and, and how... So you don't want it to go back to the days. I just remember when I was finishing residency, there were a lot of my colleagues who've never passed or taken the boards. They're never going to be board certified. 
they're part of this American Board of Spine Surgery thing. You don't want to ever drive people to that, right? No, definitely not. I mean, when the board tested before, we had um, a lot of guest examiners, and the guest examiners brought their own cases from their own practice. And that was fairly un... uh, I don't necessarily want to say uncontrolled, but you never know what case they were going to bring or show. And we've gotten away from that completely. Now every case is a standard case, which Mm -hmm. means a director made it. It was reviewed by all 15 directors and critiqued. And... um, and then ultimately approved. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't mean there aren't they're all perfectly straightforward, but there's no like just bizarre weird case that you'd see once in your whole life. You know, mm-hmm. we're trying to we're really trying to test on things that you actually do in your practice. So you know, everyone has to take a general exam and that's anything that could roll in when you're on call covering an emergency room. That's one test, five cases, you have 45 minutes. Then everyone has to pass whatever you claim your focus practice is. And 45, 50% of people say their focus practice is general neurosurgery. So they take what we call general two, a second subset of general cases. But if your focus is spine, you could pick uh, your focus is spine, pediatrics, functional, critical care, uh, vascular, etc. And that would be your second test. And then the third test is five of your cases from your case log. Wow, well, that's very. It's it's been very informative what you told us. I mean, this is a, one of the most anxiety provoking aspects of what we do, and you know, all of this is very helpful to give people some insight on what you guys are up to. Yeah, I mean, we're trying not to trick anyone. I mean, we're trying to be as straightforward as possible. Of course, when you're sitting there taking the test, you always think <laughs> some, something's happening to try to get you to do something unsafe. But that's not. It's really not how it is. We're just trying to. How do you think about this patient? What's going through your mind as you see and evaluate this patient? How would you do the surgery? Um, and uh, take it from there. Great. Well, thank you very much, Carl, for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank All right. You. My pleasure. Thank you.